0: Welcome to the Celtic Way podcast, where we look to bring a fresh vision of spiritual life by nurturing a vibrant, evolving, and sustainable life with God in nature. Celtic spirituality is an ancient tradition of seeing God in everyone and in everything. Welcome to the Celtic Way podcast. Great to be with everyone as always. Joined per usual with the creative director of Celtic Way, Scott Jenkins, one of my favorite humans on the planet, and a very special guest today, Andy Rain is with us from Holy Island, one of the founders of the Northumbria community. So, welcome to both of you, but specifically welcome to you Andy. So great
1: to have you with us today. I'm like a little kid in a toy store, I think, you know. This is really great. You have influenced my life and my wife's life. I have so many people that have never got to meet you. Um, So I was just really chomping at the bit to have this time together. It's really good. Today is St. Winifred's Day, Matt, and she, um, she... well, there's a lot of tales and stories about her, but she was she's about healing and bringing wholeness to people. And I, I thought about her when I was reading the devotions today, of course. But then I, th- I thought about you, Andy, and the Northumbria community that you helped to find. And I just think about the journey towards wholeness and healing. Uh, this is a great appropriate day to have you have you on because uh, you and Winifred though very different. Uh, are pushing us all and, and guiding us all to uh, of the same place of healing and wholeness. So, Andy, I'd like to begin, I'd uh, like people to get a sense of who you are. Uh, most of our listeners are in the States, so I think as soon as they hear your accent, they're going to have some questions about who is this guy and where he's from. So, if you can give us a poignant snapshot of your journey, that'd be wonderful.
2: So... uh uh, I'm uh, living on Holy Island in Northumbria and in North Northumberland, as it now is. Uh, and its full handle is the Holy Island of Lindisfarne. Um, I was born in Barney, Barnet Castle, which is uh, the bottom end of, uh, of Northumbria um, uh, uh, in what's now, I suppose, County Durham. Um, so I'm definitely northern. You know, there's a north-south divide, but there's a real sense of strong local identity. Mm. And um I was a, a student in London, and uh, I was somebody who'd found the Lord when I was five, five and a half, something like that, in a personal way, i just had had an experience of the Holy Spirit before I went to be a student. But this particular year I was already um, uh, down in London and there was a student and I was having an argument with God, as you do, well, as I do. And (laughs) uh, I was saying to him, so where are you sending me? And then to my surprise, there was a voice. It wasn't an audible voice, but it was enough to make me turn around. And... uh, What was being said was Holy Island. Wow. Now, I'd been to Holy Island once on a day trip with my family years before as a a boy, but I'd never been since. And so I assumed that when I was told Holy Island, what it meant was that I was to go on a retreat to this place. I knew it as a place that had retreat centers and somebody who was an acquaintance of mine worked at one of those retreat centers. So I thought I'm supposed to go there. But then I was really irritated. I thought, here's me asking God, where are you sending me? And he changes the subject. You know, you don't often get God speak to you directly like that. But when he does, typically avoids the question that you're asking him and changes the subject to something else. I'm saying, where are you sending me? And he's telling me to go on a retreat where presumably he's going to speak to me. And I thought, well, why not cut out the middleman and speak to me now, you know? You know, there's no arguing with God. Um, Well, there is, but it doesn't achieve anything except make you feel better. You know, so I rang up to try and find if I could join a retreat that was happening on Holy Island, which it turned out wasn't happening. And uh, before long, I was coming up to Holy Island for the weekend. And when I got here to the island, uh, the things that happened in the course of that one weekend made it very clear to me and to other people that God had already spoken and that this was where he was sending me and that there was some connection that I didn't understand to do with me and Holy Island and it had become my destiny and um, everything that's happened for me basically has unfolded from that time. So uh, when I'd been out in Canada in 1978 uh, and I was coming back from A time away uh, working with YWAM on a school of creative ministry. I came back and expected to move straight back onto the island but instead I was just working out who I was going to stay with for the next couple of days while I tried to sort out some accommodation. Uh, I was given the name of some friends uh, who the guy who was driving me just mentioned their name and I said, that's who I'm supposed to stay with. I said, well, but I was trying to figure it out. They lived in such a small space. I didn't know where whether they would even have a corner to put me, even for one night. And uh, I said, what was it you were saying about John and Linda? He said, oh, God's just given them this big house. And I said, oh, well, there's no problem then with me going to stay. <laughs> so I contacted them, wrote a letter. They, they took, took possession of the of the house and the first thing on the map was this letter from me saying, can I come and stay? And John says to God, oh, not visitors already. And God <laughs> says to him, he's not coming as a visitor. He's coming to be part of your family. Oh. And be gentle with him because he's staying longer than he thinks. So um, I thought, well, maybe it's three weeks or something, you know. Anyway, nine months later, John and Linda were, were moving and I was still at Berwick. But those, those months that we had together, we discovered all kinds of things. We discovered that uh, God had already spoken to each of the three of us the word community. Mm, okay. uh, he'd also he'd given us separately Isaiah 58, and um, that had been really, really important. And we knew that somehow uh, what God was calling to us, uh, each of us was interlocked. And we also found that he was sending us all kinds of people in their brokenness. And the brokenness became something uh, which made us comfortable. In fact, we began to be very uncomfortable with people who weren't broken because then there was an awful lot of posturing going on and an awful lot of uh, veneer and layers and respectability which seemed to make it hard for God to be able to do anything. But as soon as people were touching their brokenness, uh, even strong people who aren't normally like that, then there was the possibility of God doing some rebuilding. Mm. And uh, I suppose that set the tone for what later became the vows for our community, that right. we say year by year, yes to availability and yes to vulnerability. And those would be almost like the charism that defines us. Um So for me, the community was always a byproduct, uh, a sort of sideline to the fact that I'd been called to Holy Island. But we were um, listening with interest to the scriptures from Joshua and Judges about Caleb and Caleb's daughter, Aksa, and uh, uh, her cousin, Othniel, who uh, captured a city in the the Promised Land. And uh, the reward for capturing the city was that... uh, Uh, Caleb's daughter Axa's hand in marriage was available to whoever did this so either he was very stupid or he wanted her um, because he got her and the dowry (laughs) that came with her was this property in the land of the Negev and uh, it says that uh, Axa got off her ass and went to her father (laughs) Now, that means a donkey to us, but I'm sure in America it's even more pointed. But she (laughs) got off her ass and went to her her, her, donkey, not her donkey, her father, and said to him, Father, you have given me this dark desert, barren land. Now will you also give me springs that I might water this land? That's right. And the father gave her the upper and the nether springs. So in some ways that seemed to characterize the way we felt about Northumberland and in those days it was a place that was slightly touched by renewal but it was still a very difficult um doer place in terms of what god was doing and a move of god it didn't feel there was much except in its history in its history there was wonderful things and particularly around holy island mm-hmm. and people came to the island they were drawn there and uh, Often they were people who weren't believers, people who were coming either looking for something or even more strangely, weren't looking for something, but were somehow drawn here anyway, and then found that they were hit between the eyes by an experience that was coming off of the very land itself or or the presence that was here. And I used to ask God, what is this about? And uh, I came to the conclusion that the island was a prayed-in place. And it being a prayed-in place had touched it forever. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just the prayers of the people living here who had some kind of rhythm of prayer. Mm -hmm. It was the prayers of those who had been here before, Aidan and his friends and what they'd built here. And somehow those prayers uh, were either still active today, like a a book of checks that had, had never been cashed in yet, you just needed to fill in the amounts Mm. and you were the recipient Mm. or that there were the prayers of aiden that were active now because he and the glory is still praying for us and i wasn't sure which of those it was as time's gone on i'm more and more convinced it's both but being in a prayed in place um you saw miracles happening and people just wandering around waiting to bump into somebody they could open up to and talk to. I knew that I was to return to Holy Island. And, uh, but John and Linda were, were looking for a place that was more like the nether springs. So the upper springs was a good description of Holy Island. You bumped into the spirituality there, whether you liked it or not. And uh, in fact, anytime that you, you weren't demanding it, it would be there, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and then the nether springs was finding quiet places in the land where if you dug deeply enough you found that you were touching the same water source uh, and but it was of a more contemplative uh, uh, quiet nature and um, years later we would contrast the figure of Aidan and the figure of Cuthbert as having those same different emphases and uh, um, when we were looking for a home for the Nether Springs, um, uh, we were, we were told by, um, uh, somebody who spoke prophetically to John and his friend Ken when they were in Ireland at Clonford. And he said, you're looking for a place over a significant bridge, which is a sign next to a cave. Um, and, uh, uh it'll be a place that has its own water supply and, uh, hmm. It, it It was all of these different signs that were and, and you're going to rent it, not buy it, and they've been planning to somehow raise the money and buy a property
1: this, but, was a prof- this was a this was the role of the prophet i mean the prophetic voice in your group yeah. right that's inter- that's interesting well not just even in the
2: group, but oh. the people who we encountered so this was somebody at another holy place in Ireland. Oh. Uh, in Clonfair, where Brendan, uh, the navigator, is. Right. Historic, yeah? Okay. And we, we knew the people who had the place there. So these were significant signs. When we were even trying to look for the property, we had to drive over a, a, a metal bridge in right in the middle of the countryside, which was randomly painted purple. And I always say purple's God's color. You know, it just seemed the most incongruous thing to have a, a bright purple bridge in the middle of the green countryside, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, it was enough to get your attention and say something's happening. And it was so hidden that the signpost that pointed to the, the place we were looking for had been broken off. It had been snapped off. So where the post should have been telling us where to go, that was the one that wasn't there, you know. It was, it was hidden right now. And, oh. uh, but it was within a stone's throw almost of Cuthbert's Cave. And of course, if we'd been looking for a place of the nether springs, of course Cuthbert's cave was one of those places where you could have uh, found that sense of quiet, but yet it was the same powerful thing that you touch here on holy island mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so um the uh, John came back from Ireland and there was a letter waiting on his uh on his uh Um, floor and it uh, had come from an estate agent that we'd been in touch with looking for a suitable property and he said I know you're wanting to buy but uh, there's this particular property and I think you'd be very foolish not to consider it because it seems to have everything that you wanted so they went to have a look at Henton Hall and uh, it seemed like it was a good match it was to rent but we'd been told in the prophecy you know don't dismiss it because it's a rental property Mm -hmm. And then the second thing they said was the number of people you think that are going to be turning up here. uh, We have only one problem we can foresee, and that's that this place has its own water supply. It's not attached to the mains. It's fed by an underground spring. But we think it might toil if you have a lot of people coming here. It might not be up to the job. Well, while they were, we took it anyway. And while they were busy clearing the ground ready for us taking over, one of the workmen uh, hit the ground and uh, suddenly um, it started to flood. And uh, they just happened upon another spring. And so (laughs) it had literally become the place of the nether springs. Nether means lower or underground in this case, uh, uh, underground springs. Wow. Um, So that was like reading something out of Basilia Schlink's um, book, Realities, about the Mary sisters and them finding their property at Darmstadt and having all kinds of things. I remember they built a a fountain and and even tiled it. And as they were completing it, uh, they hit water and it filled. (laughs) (laughs) So we were suddenly, we were living in a storybook moment, you know. Yeah. these stories are meant to encourage you. And when you read the stories, uh, when you're in a place where you're discouraged or uh, up against a brick wall, you read the stories and you say, it doesn't help because this is my situation now. And uh, and the funny thing is you can read your own stories and remember them. Yeah. And they still don't seem real because the 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 stuck place that you're in seems the, like the only thing that is real. And all the encouragements from the past seem like so much theory, you know? Yeah.
1: I think when I read the stories of the ancient Celtic saints who had this this faithful expectation that regardless of how difficult or unknown things were, they just believed and were ready to see God showing up. And my first experience with the Northumbria community 12 years ago, there's congruency in that kind of faith and trust in a lived experience with God that echoes and reflects the, the saints of the scriptures and the early celtic christian saints on on the uk and i find it it's just keeps has kept drawing me back for 12 years now and yeah thank you yeah keep so going
2: one of the one of the things in uh, in our first celtic daily prayer book um mm-hmm. we have a, a series of meditations that are used uh, each day of the month and they used every month, you know, just so that they become right. things that become part of you because you use them so often. And in book one, the day 31 reading is, is a quote from Edith Schafer's book *Labri* about the founding of their community. And it says something like, uh, we believe that God is able to bring people to a place, even a tiny out of the way place and to bring only the ones he wanted there for his purposes not to advertise, but to just believe that God will bring people is a different way of doing things. We don't say everybody ought to do it, only that we were led to do this right. as a demonstration that God is. Uh, and people were there, and they were being gi- uh, given demonstration, not by, God, by us, but by God, um, that he exists. Through uh, they, they were there when prayers were being made, and, and then later they found them being answered. Uh, it was a, a combination that could never have been dreamed up, but yeah. it had to be real. Yep. And I think that, that's true. I also take heart from uh, the stories of these saints, the moments when you see them being as vulnerable as we are. Um, Brendan, who was so um, unafraid in great dangers, when it came to his time when he was dying, uh, suddenly there was there was a kind of vulnerability about him he just he, he it was like he had a hesitation as as to stepping into the unknown and uh, and yet uh, he he knew that the same god that had um, had been with him through all these other dangers would would uh, would welcome him uh, but there was that moment in his heart where he just felt not a dread but Overwhelmed, I think, Um, and it's just very nice to know that other people um, have moments of trepidation as well. And one of our heroes is is a little guy called uh, Felgild, who was a hermit, one of the hermits after Cuthbert on uh, Theanafan. I think he was three after uh, Cuthbert, and he looked up to not just Cuthbert, but the others who had been ahead of him in that little hermitage. And uh, people started asking him for, was there anything that Cuthbert had touched, you know, that he could give them? And he couldn't think of anything. But he'd had a slight problem. He wasn't quite as holy as Cuthbert or the, the next guy after him. And there he was in this same uh, place where they would pray. And it really irritated Felguild that there was a draft that came in through this <laughs> bit where the stones weren't quite together. You know what I mean? And yeah. the draft used to really irritate him. And so when somebody was asking me, well, is there anything we can bring you from, from uh, the larger Island, you know, or anything or from the mainland, He eventually he succumbed and said, could you bring me a piece of leather? I just need a piece of leather that I, that I can wedge against this draft. So he wedged it against the draft. And he, he, he didn't have the problem with the cold that he'd had before. He was so thrilled. He wasn't as spiritual as his predecessors. But now he at least wasn't being overwhelmingly distracted by the draft. But then when they started asking for anything that Cuthbert might have touched, and he thought, well, he didn't touch it exactly. But this piece of leather has touched the draft that he wasn't irritated by. So and maybe it'll work. So he started cutting up his piece of leather and giving pieces of it to pilgrims and folk who wanted some memento of Cuthbert, uh, if, even if it was only by association. And they took away these pieces of leather and put it on their, their person where they had some kind of an injury or illness or whatever, and people were getting healed from touching the the uh, the piece of leather that had touched the draft that that, uh, hadn't irritated Cuthbert so (laughs) then Felgill realized he had a swelling on his nose a boil of some kind that really uh, was the other bane of his life other than that draft had been and so he put the remaining piece of leather on his nose and guess what it was healed (laughs) <laughs> I just love his irritation and uh, and his distraction. And, you know, he's a proper saint for us. You know, he, he, he feel you feel you're touching something very real when you've got people's irritations and distractions. Right. Um, uh, John Vanier's writings about community are quite interesting as well. I don't read John Vanier easily. He's not an easy person to read. Right. And if somebody else doesn't get away with his readings, or, or Henry Nouwen or some of these other... Oh, Thomas Merton even, who are all quite heavy going, I find. But when John Vanya talks about each person who joins community has a, a dream of what community will be, and they use it to destroy everybody else. Mm. So uh, it's kind of like you, you end up being uh, beaten up by other people's ideals oh. instead of the reality of what community is going to be. And um, sometimes it's 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 good to recognize these problems in advance. You know, we have to love everybody, but it doesn't mean we have to like them. You know, what I mean that takes an awful lot. Of time. <laughs> People, they, we always say because it, forgiveness should be unilateral, uh, love may be unconditional, and trust has to be earned. Ah, nice. That's very good.
1: It's very difficult, but it's really good.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, when you've got people in recovery or something like that, they say, what, don't you trust me? And they go, no, no, that was never the deal.
1: You know, <laughs> the trust is earned. You know. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So now you're in the house, but that's not where you stayed. And then you came to, to where they are. All now.
2: right. So you're talking about as community, our mother house. Yeah. But as soon as we got that mother house, I moved back to the island. It was like the way opened up for me. John had said, I believe you'll get back to the island and it'll be the right time when you've helped get us into the mother house. And sure enough, our, when that was already underway, I moved back to the island and I've been here ever since apart from a little break of about two weeks, I think, when me and Anna uh, uh, were homeless and we were going from place to place wherever the, a place was empty for a week or two, you know, but somehow we got into the house that we're in now. But that's our our family circumstances. The community, after a lot of years uh, in the mother house, um, the property was under difficulties. They needed to sell one of the properties, and he didn't want to sell his own house, the, uh, the guy who was the landlord. So it was obvious we needed to go. And, um, but we prayed and we prayed, and we felt we, had, we, we weren't done with that mother house. And uh, there, there came a, a reprieve, and we were able to stay. But it was enough to make us question whether we were there for good. Mm. And then when the next time came, I think he sold on the whole property with us as sitting tenants. And um, and then when that guy needed to go, uh, there was no reprieve. So we were praying and praying, and uh, there was a word came through listening prayer, which was that um, there was a picture of a, a liner, an ocean liner, and then lots of little boats and it was almost like a flotilla of, of boats going out. And the picture was that the, the liner was uh, was like the mother house. Uh, but what was interesting was that it, it was behaving like the little boats. It was uh, being sent out to do what oh. it needed to do. And it wasn't being this uh, thing that was hidden away. And um, so that made us rethink what, what the function of the mother house was to be. It wasn't to be the be-all and end-all. It was to be part of a larger movement. And then also, of course, we had no idea where the mother house was going to come from because we needed to be in this vicinity somewhere. And uh, uh, and then some of the people who had been praying for us uh, just contacted us and said, well, we have a property you might be interested in looking at. And it was on their land and it had been an unfinished property. But funnily enough, the shape of it was in the shape of a cloister. So uh, <laughs> that was us. And before long, we were moving into Acton Home Farm.
1: Oh. Yeah. And then when you moved in, I mean, it looks so different. I, I go maybe every, I don't know, four years or so. And every time I go, my goodness, you know, just the uh, new buildings and the property so improved and it's just it's grown. It's, it's a wonderful place.
2: No. Yes. And of course, we've been through all the changes with um, with lockdown as well. And um, so no. um, it's been uh, difficult to know what could happen, ways of having people be at the motherhouse in a way that if somebody contracted COVID, it doesn't have to uh, immediately make everybody else ill but so there's been all these different temporary arrangements that have been made and uh, and we're just trying to take the temperature of the situation as we go along wow. so it's all all changes all the time but then we were taught in some of our staff training days back at Henton Hall constant change is here to stay and we That's would have staff training days being taught about quantum physics and uh, and about how uh, um, concepts, philosophical concepts come down like they're going downstairs but then ah. uh, in, a, in these days of modern media something can be an overnight sensation and or um, everything that used to take hundreds of years to filter down into people's consciousness can happen in such a very very short time and how we needed to adapt to the changes that were coming And uh, it was really interesting, you know, the the amount to which we'd already begun using things electronically um, uh, with uh, Facebook and with uh, Zoom and with all of these different things. We were better set up to cope with the changes that lockdowns brought uh, than a lot of people were. And uh, we've learned a lot as we've gone through as well. So,
1: yeah, I'm so grateful that. Northumbria has so many online offerings now, you know, so people all the way over here can participate as well. It's really good. Um, tell me a little bit about your thoughts in the states. There's these polls that come out every year. They they talk about poignantly about how people's spiritual hunger, their spiritual thirst, goes up. You know, what's like 90 percent of people have in the states a real hunger for spirituality. At the same time, I'm thinking, Donald, just the last just the last 10 years, the attendance of uh, mainline churches, maybe any churches, is just going down. And so, when I tell people here, I have a lot of friends who are pastors, different clergy, and they say to me, so, what are you saying, Scott? Are you saying, like, this is going to replace the church? And I just, well... I know what my answer is to that, but I, I would like to hear, do you, you have a similar situation in terms of church attendance, right? We're way ahead of you. Oh, okay. All right. And
2: mainland Europe is way ahead of us. Oh. So, uh, so the same trends, right. uh, we've been talking about for certainly 10 years, if not longer, we've you no know, longer than that. It has to be longer than that. Yeah. We've been saying to the folk in the States, uh, get ready, be prepared because this is what is going to happen people are not going to cope with a divide between spirituality and life right? and the church has become a very comfortable institution and the more large uh, a congregation or uh, an institution becomes the more likely it is to perpetuate that divide so that and almost everything that they talk about is about how spirituality relates to what you do when you're in church, Um, because the people who are putting out the, the material are the people who are preoccupied with that. Right. And meanwhile, the people in the pews are the people whose real preoccupations are what's happening in their life. And church and life often don't have much to do with each other. And often, uh where folk are very busily involved in church they they're busily involved in activities that have been designed to get them involved so that they don't stray away from the church because they're too actively involved to have any time to even think about that because they already have a life and then whatever time they have left over from having a life has already been assumed to be the time that is available for them to be involved in church activities. And often those activities are activities for activity's sake and or they've lost th- their continuation of things that had a different reason for, when, for, for existing when they were first started. And also the other difficulty is that often their friendship groups start becoming things that happen within the church and the church sees that as being a good thing. But uh in terms of the gospel, in terms of living an integrated life in society, it's not a good thing because then the only voice that comes from you as a believer is the voice that's given on your behalf corporately by the leads of the church. You know, then church leaders are it's good that they're consulted, but they're consulted just because they're the names that are, are publicly available of somebody to to stop. Whereas if you stop somebody in the street and you ask them, most people have had experiences of God, experiences of the numinous, experiences of things that are important in their lives, but they don't have any opportunity to voice those things within a church context. Church is busy following its own agenda. Now, I'm making broad sweeping statements, Mm -hmm. but what I'm saying is that the disconnect is actually much more visible statistically uh, but it doesn't mean that people are less spiritual or less open it just means that they have less fixed ideas than the people in the churches have been taught to have I think we've got to start looking at this heretical imperative thing which says why why are we doing what we do and is it the best use of our energies Um, that doesn't mean that we don't Uh, focus on God. It doesn't mean that we don't have a rhythm of prayer. It doesn't mean that we dissociate completely from church or churches. That would be on an individual basis. But if somebody does, we can't assume that that means they've lost the plot. It might be that they're more attuned to the plot than the people who are just doing as they're told all the time.
0: Special thanks to Andy Rain for joining the conversation today. And here's the thing, that is just half of our conversation with Andy make sure you check out the podcast in a couple weeks and we will put out the remainder of our conversation with him you can find Celtic Way on Facebook at Celtic Way Colorado you can also find us on Instagram at Celtic Way Official and of course our website is www.celticway.org be sure to consider becoming a sustaining member to assure that the Celtic Way education and spirit continues on